are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Every week I want to say the same thing. Usually I resist it, but I can't resist it today. Don't you love and appreciate our worship band and singers? Aren't they awesome? Love it. We're going to sing some more before we leave today. Um, also, I'll, I'll look out and I want to say, you look absolutely incredible, but I'm not going to say it today. Whether you're home or in the room, turn to the person nearest you and just say, you look absolutely incredible this morning. You got that? By the way, did you know this service starts at 11 a.m.? 11 a.m. Uh, we used to start at 11.15, but now it starts at 11. If you're in a community group and your teacher's still teaching at 10 till 11, just tell them, hey, you got to stop. we got to go. We can't be late for church. I want you to get every song that we sing and be a part of it. So 11 a.m. is the new start time that we have for this service. You know, we here at Bethany First Church are located on Northwest 39th Expressway, right out here. And the street on the west is called Mueller. Do you know why it's called Mueller? Because when Bethany Community was being established, 19, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, there was a lady whose name was Maddie Mallory. And she ran an orphanage here in Bethany. In those days, there were only a handful of Nazarenes in this community. And she wanted to name the street that her orphanage was on after a man who ran an orphanage and inspired her in England, in Bristol, George Mueller. And so that's why Mueller Avenue is right here to our west, because we had an orphanage on Mueller Avenue, and he was an inspiration to Maddie Mallory. He was born in 1805, and he died in 1898. So when I say he lived in the 1800s, I mean he lived in almost all of them. George Mueller and his wife, after they were married, adopted a life verse. So how many of you, by lifting your hand really high, would say, I kind of have a life verse? Just hands up in the air. There's lots of you who have a life verse. So here's the verse they picked. Luke 12.33. You know what Luke 12.33 says? This is their life verse. Sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. That was their life verse. We think we should own nothing and we should give everything we can away. And that's the way they lived their life. So in 1936, as missionaries from Germany to Bristol, England, they were overcome by the need for an orphanage. There were homeless children all over England, especially in the major cities. And so they opened their home to 30 children in 1936, 30 children. And in the next nine years, they rented three more houses in their neighborhood, and they had now opened their homes to 145 homeless children. You know what happened next? The neighbors complained. True story. And so they built an orphanage. And over their lifetime, they would serve 10,000 orphaned children. Wow. Here's what's interesting. He's not most known for serving 10,000 orphaned children. Do you know what he's most known for? He's most known for his faith in God's provision. So he decided somewhere along the way that he would never ask anybody for one dollar to support his ministry. He said, you know what? God already knows our needs even before we ask Him. 
I think it shows a lack of faith for me to go to other people and say, would you help me do this ministry? God promised me a long time ago that he would take care of me. So not only did he not receive a salary, he never asked for a dollar. And there's all kinds of stories about Mueller's orphanages where they would have no money, no milk for breakfast in the morning, and all of a sudden there would be a knock at the door after they prayed with an envelope with enough money to buy milk for breakfast in the morning. I call that audacious faith. And we've been talking about audacious faith recently. Over these last few weeks as we move through the season of Lent, what would it be like to have the faith that Jesus had? What would it be like to live the life that Jesus lived and the life that Jesus taught, believing that God really was going to take care of us in our future? What would it be like to have the faith of George Mueller, who said, I'll never ask for a dollar. God has already promised that he would take care of us. So I want to talk about faith in regard to money and possessions today. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start by asking you a question that you may feel is offensive. And here's the question. Do you, not the person beside you, but do you love money? Do you love having money? Do you love the security that money brings? Do you feel like you have the right attitude about money? Do you ever worry that maybe money means more to you than it should mean to you? Do you love money? That's the question. Do you love money? And the reason I'm asking you the question, because in the text this morning in Hebrews, here is the statement. It's nine words, and these nine words have messed with me, and I think they might mess with you. Read them with me. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Now, why in the world... Do we open God's Word, and God's Word says to us, whatever you do, don't love money. You can love God, you can love Jesus, you can love people, but don't love money. In fact, you should work hard at keeping your heart free, your life free from the love of money. Whatever happens in your heart and in your life, don't ever let your heart begin to love money. And so when I ask the question, why would God say to us this in His Word, I think it lives somewhere in the conversation about the fact that we tend to want to love money. Now, I want to show you a picture real quick, okay? This is a picture of my little buddy Lincoln, and he is the son of Jake and Courtney Garrett, Pastor Jake. He has opened a birthday card that has money, and you can tell the kid loves money already. He's got issues, right? I don't know what Jake's teaching this kid, but you can tell the kid loves money. Any proud grandparents in the room this morning, a shout out from one of them. There we go. So Jesus says, here's why, okay? This, this is the problem, all right? You cannot serve God and money. You cannot. Not going to happen. Not a possibility. Don't even try. It won't work. You cannot serve both God and money. You will hate one and say the word with me. Love the other. You say, Rick, I think I can do it. And Jesus says, no, you can't. At some point, your heart is going to turn. 
and you're going to love one, but you won't love both. I, I, I think the words are good for us to, to, to look at here. Let me show you the next slide. Paul says to Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In fact, Paul says, you know what, Timothy? I have seen some people eager for money, and they have wandered from the faith. So what Jesus is saying true, you can't love both. Because I've seen some people who were so eager for money that they lost their faith. They lost their soul. Money meant more to them than their faith did. So I don't ask you often to write things down, right? But I think today I'm going to ask you to consider writing something down because it sums up the Scripture that I'm about to read to you. And I think it sums up the conversation and the direction we're headed. It's good stuff. You're going to love it. You're going to want to write it down. So here are the words, okay? We should love God and use money. What should you love? God. What should you use? Money. So we are supposed to love God and use money. But the problem is we are prone to loving money and using God. So while we should love God and use money, we are prone to loving money and using God. So let me take you to the book of Hebrews, okay? Chapter 13. This is the final chapter of the book. And for 12 chapters up until this point, the Hebrew writer has tried to help his readers understand, even though they are suffering, even though they have faced persecution, and some have lost their property, it was confiscated because of their faith in Jesus. He is trying to help them be reminded that Jesus is superior to all things. And therefore, it is to your best interest to remain faithful to Him, even in spite of your suffering. So when he comes to the very end of his letter, chapter 13, the last chapter, he begins by saying, let me give you some practical guidelines for Christian living. So the first thing that he says is you should love one another, okay? So some of you are sitting together right in here. Do you all love each other? Okay, supposed to. That's what he says to do. The second thing he says is to show hospitality to strangers. Let me interpret that for you. Live with your arms open. Whoever God brings into your life, open your arms to them. And you might be surprised to find that they will fall into your arms. That's what people tend to do. The third thing he says is don't forget those who are suffering because of their faith who are mistreated because of their faith, and who are imprisoned because of their faith. Don't forget those people. And then, since we're going to talk about money, you want to talk about sex? The Hebrew writer does. And here's what he says. Keep the marriage bed pure. Because you know and I know that God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. And then he says... And keep your lives free from the love of money. Why do they do that? All through the New Testament, they link sex and money. You find these words together a lot. The sexually immoral and the greedy. And I think here is maybe one of the reasons why. When sex or money is misused, it is only for the sake of self-gratification. 
And so this is how we get to the conversation about money. So Hebrews chapter 13, only two verses, five and six. You ready? Here we go. So keep your lives free from the love of money. Whatever you do, don't let your heart begin to love money. And be content with what you have. Anybody in the room today say, Rick, I'm content with what I have. Don't need anything else to be content. I'm set. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So verse 6 says, so we say with confidence. The Lord is my helper. So I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And so this is God's word for us today. And this is a head full of information to work through. So this past week I had breakfast with a friend of mine. We, we meet once in a while. And he said to me, you know, it was five years ago that I left my career and, and my profession. Yeah, it's been five years, I said to him. He says, yeah, five years ago. He says, you know, um, we're making about a third of what we were making five years ago. My income has gone from what it was to about a third now. I said, wow, I, I didn't realize it was that much of a drop. He says, yeah. The reason he left his profession and his career was because he believed God was asking him to be in full-time ministry. And so he says, okay. So when God speaks, he's the kind of person that says, yes. And so he said, yes, bless you. And so he said, although my income has dropped to a third, we haven't missed a thing. So what was he saying? I don't think he was saying we haven't had to adjust our lifestyle because they've had to adjust their lifestyle. I don't think he was saying we've had to learn to do with less because they've had to learn to do with less. I don't think he was saying we haven't experienced major changes because they have experienced major changes. You know what he was saying? We have enough. We still have enough. So just over a year ago, a friend of mine sends me a text and he says, I read this and I thought you would love it. Thought of you when I read it, so I'm sending it to you. Hope it does to you what it's doing to me, causes you to think, etc. And so I saved it in a notes section of my phone. And I knew that one day I would share it with you, and I'm going to share it with you today. But for a year, I've contemplated these words, and they have worked on me like those other words that we read a moment ago. Keep your lives free from the love of money has been working on me. And so here is the quote, okay? We need to hear more about enough because we have heard enough about more. See, I live in a culture that doesn't hardly ever say anything about enough to me. I live in a culture that is always saying something about more to me. But what we find in the text, after we read the words, keep your lives free from the love of money, here's what the writer says to us. Be content with what you have. Now you may say, Rick, being content with what I have, that's a real problem. And the reason it's a real problem is because of the culture I live in. The culture I live in never says to me to be content. The culture I live in tells me to be discontent. 
And it always talks to me about more. You want more. You've got to have more. You need more. You should get more. And another word that we hear a lot is better. I wish I had a better car. Wish I had a better job. Wish I had better pay. Wish I had a better house. I'm always thinking about better. And not only do I think about more and better, but I think about next. It's the next experience. It's the next vacation. It's the next purchase. It's the next whatever. And so we live in a world where we constantly hear these messages about more and better and next. And so I want you to complete the sentence for me. I will be joyful when blank. I'll be joyful when I'm married. I'll be joyful when I'm single again. <laughs> you laughed too hard at that one. I'll be joyful when I'm out of debt. I'll be joyful when I'm promoted. I'll be joyful when. And so a younger person said to me not too long ago, one of the greatest problems we face in our society is discontentment. Because nobody's living in the moment. Nobody is satisfied and nobody is content. We are waiting for more and we are waiting for next and we are waiting for better. And nobody lives in the moment. It's one of the greatest struggles we are facing today as a society. Think about that. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul says, uh-uh. You can do that if you want to, but I'm not. Not anymore, I'm not. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. Believe me, <laughs> I've lived both ways. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. You, you can chase that dream if you want to but I'm not chasing it Paul says I'm done and he had come to realize that contentment is an inside job it's what's happening inwardly it's not based on external circumstances it's knowing the source of my joy and, and just have this heart to heart look me in the eye conversation with you we're talking about audacious faith and discontentment is a lack of faith. And contentment is audacious faith. What I have today, God has provided, and I trust Him. And whatever I have in the future, it will be what God wants me to have, and I trust Him. My faith is in Him, even in regard to money. So when I'm discontent, I'm saying, God, you're not doing a good job. You're not keeping up. You're falling short, God, of taking care of me. 
A few weeks ago, we had a conference here called the XO Conference, a marriage conference. My wife, Annette, and I, we sat right there where Julie is. Raise your hand, Julie, really high and wave so people can see where we were sitting. And um, in Saturday afternoon, there was a session by a guy named Jimmy Evans. And he's pretty transparent about his past and his life, and he wasn't raised going to church. And he said, so when I got saved, I just, you know... God still had a lot of work to do in me. My wife, different story. She was really a, a great person. He said, I wasn't. I was a jerk. I was a horrible husband. You know, I was just bad at a lot of stuff. God had a lot of work to do in me. But he says, we're going to church, and I've become a Christian. I'm trying to follow Jesus. And he says, we go to church one Sunday, and the preacher, he gets up to preach, and he preaches about tithing. And bottom line was this. He says that we should give 10% of every dollar we make to God. And he says he, he carries it on to this idea of storehouse tithing, that you bring it to the church you're attending. Craziest idea I've ever heard in my life, he said. The guy's got to be nuts. He said, at that time, we were making $600 a month. And according to my calculations, he's thinking we ought to give $60 a month to God. And, and I've decided the guy has lost his marbles. We got home from church, and later in the afternoon, my wife said, what did you think about the sermon this morning? He said, I thought it was the craziest sermon I've ever heard in my life. What did you think? She said, I loved it. He said, well, there you go. She said, Jimmy, I've been praying ever since church. And I feel like God's talking to me. And I think God wants us to give $40 to him. And he said, I, I couldn't believe what she was saying. And I was angry. And I was struggling. And I know she's a more spiritual person than me. And if God's talking to her, finally I just said, you know what? You do what you think you ought to do. If you think you ought to give $40, give $40. He said, I thought it was crazy, but go ahead. If you think you ought to do it, do it. And so she writes a check to the church for $40. I couldn't believe it. We didn't have that kind of money to give away. And he says, so in a few weeks, she comes to me and she says, Jimmy, I've been praying. I think God's want me to do something. And he thought, oh my goodness, here we go again. I think I ought to give some money to the church. He said, listen, we got by with that one time. <laughs> but I don't know that we're going to get by with it a second time. But you do what you think you ought to do. He says, my wife kept kind of leading us as a family until we were giving 10% of our money to God. Besides that, she would give offerings. That was just tithe. He said, here's the way we had lived our lives as, as a married couple. Um, we, we knew that we had a check coming on this date, and we knew that we would deposit it on this date. And so we knew that if we wrote checks a few days earlier and put them in the mail, that they would not actually hit our bank until we could get our check deposited. We just floated. Can I get a witness in the house? Anybody else know what it is to float a check along? Yeah. He said, that's the way we lived. There was never enough money. 
The way we made it was we would just get right up to the edge, and then we would start writing checks, putting stamps on them, and stick them in the mail, knowing we were going to deposit the check. He said, but something occurred to me. After months of tithing, and what occurred to me was that we started having enough. He said, that just doesn't make any sense. How can you have enough when you didn't have enough before you were giving 10% away? But we were. I, I became very emotional sitting right there that day because of what he says next. He said, you know, I believed that God, that God loved us. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, so I'm in the world, so that means God loves me. I did believe that. I believed that God loved me. He said, but I did not think God knew where we lived. I didn't think he really knew us. He said, I remember I went to an airport and I looked around. And I thought, there's a lot of people in this world. Surely God doesn't know all these people personally. He said, but I remember the morning that I was getting out of bed. And I was thinking about this craziness. That we're giving money away. And now we've got money left over. And I remember the thought that entered my mind. He knows us. He knows where we live. Do you remember the words in the text? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Look at these words. I love them. So we say with confidence... The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my provider. The Lord takes care of me. The Lord is watching over me. The Lord knows where I live. The Lord knows me really well. The Lord is not going to let me go without. The Lord is enough for me. I want the band to come up, if you will. I, I, just, I just have to pause here and say there are other words in this text, and the words are, so why would I be afraid? What could mere mortals do to me? You understand, these are people who are going through tough times, persecution. Some have lost their property because of their faith. You might be here today saying, Rick, I'm going through tough times financially. And the message is true and loud and clear. God is going to take care of you through those tough times, just like they were having. It, it's all about trust. It's, it's never really been about giving. It's been about trust. Do I trust that God is taking care of me? Does He know where I live? Does He know my name is he my provider hmm. one of the practices that we encourage is living generously by giving to others and by serving given of my resources and given of my time 
And here's what I've come to learn in my own life. It has become a means of grace. It's one of the ways in which God transforms my heart. I try to say, Lord, can I see my life like this? You, you are giving me everything that I have. And could I just see it coming into my life and going out? Could I see myself as a conduit to where that as you bless me, I just bless others? Is there any way we could begin to have the audacious faith that Jesus had? The audacious faith, audacious faith that George Mueller had? That said, God is truly my provider. Who said, I want to provide a doubtful world with a God who provides. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that by the power of your word this morning, as you have spoken to us, that you would transform our thinking about money. And make us generous people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.